Hi, everybody. Stefan Molyneux. Hope you're doing well. Here with Lauren Southern. Now, she, of course, as you know, I'm sure an independent journalist and the author of Barbarians, How the Baby Boomers, Immigration, and Islam Screwed My Generation. You can find her on YouTube and on Twitter at twitter.com forward slash Lauren Underbar Southern. Lauren, thank you so much for taking the time today. Absolutely. Thanks for having me. Of course, it's a grim topic, but we need to stare at it as what's going on currently in South Africa and, I guess, uh, address people's concerns about the declining population of whites in the West compared to other cultures, other races, other ethnicities, other religions, for a possible glimpse what happens when whites slide into the minority. So where did you first hear about what was going on in South Africa and uh, what piqued your interest most? It was probably about a year ago. I started kind of hearing whispers online, nothing in the mainstream media, nothing on the news. It was just kind of tweets here and there, people saying, Lauren, you got to check this out. You got to check this out. Murder here, massacre here. And I just, just little whispers of a growing problem in South Africa. And I decided to contact someone you actually have had on your show before, Simon Roche, the head of a group called Sightlanders, who are the largest... Um, non-military defense force in the world, I believe. And I, I planned to go nine months ago to South Africa, but something came up and I wasn't able to. But I actually think that was kind of fate because later on, I ended up getting a awesome film crew, uh, these two lads named George and Kalen, who were able to come with me this January and film just some beautiful stories, some very sad stories, but uh, excellent quality, excellent film style, and a full documentary that we're doing in South Africa. So it was about a year ago uh, that I heard about this, and it's just been kind of ramping up as we go. It's been really accelerating the problems there, the government rhetoric, the murders, but uh, we'll get into that, I'm sure. Yeah, I mean, it's a very different and, and sort of heartbreaking thing for me to see. I was there in 1972 when I was six. And I was then again there in 1982 when I was 16. And it was one of these places, and it seems to follow this general pattern in the world that the better the climate, the worse the politics. It's just kind of this horrible trade-off uh, that you have to have. And um, it was relatively safe, although it was a jumpy white population. Uh, whites, I think, at the moment are, what, 8% of the population. Yeah. And you do have this problem of violence and tribalism and a massive amount of hatred towards whites, uh, which is uh, more common, I think, than people think around the world and all of this coalescing uh, into a pretty horrendous situation where whites are trapped either because they can't get out, they can't get their money out, or because they feel, of course, in the case of the farmers tied to the land and to their traditions and the history of their people. Right. Well, something that a lot of people don't understand about South Africa is it it's, doesn't have the same colonial history that a lot of other places do. The whites, when they came there, they were the Dutch. Hundreds and hundreds of years ago, they settled on, oh, I believe it was the west side of the Great Fish River. And the only people there before them were this native kind of group, the San and the Khoi people, which today, they're not the politicians in South Africa. They're not the ones who really own the land. In fact, if you speak to a Bantu black person, that's the majority of uh, the black South African population, they see the San and the Khoi people as just a sub race. Like they don't even see them as they just like make fun of them. They're very racist towards them. So the whites, in a, for the most part, were there almost before the Zulus 
came down who are the high representation in the ANC, the EFF, and all of the political parties claiming they had the land first. Completely inaccurate. The Dutch settlers have been there hundreds and hundreds and hundreds of years. These are farms that go back eight, nine generations. They are very tied to that land. And now you've got, if people don't know, it's um, Nelson Mandela's party, the uh, ANC, they are saying this whole kind of Black Lives Matter-esque rhetoric, but they're actually running the government in South Africa. This land belongs to us. It is ours, the Black South Africans. So you have to give it to us. And they're actually going to be taking white land without compensation. They announced that while I was on the ground in South Africa. The leading government of the country has said that now. Well, Despite and this the is history. the, I mean, this is the horrifying thing. And, and it is one of these great tragedies that the facts of history don't seem to matter to polarize yeah. groups at all that is more a mythos that justifies exploitation and often violence because when the bantus came down from the north they virtually wiped out the native population but when the whites were in south africa as the whites are in south africa the population of blacks went up enormously like multiplied two three four five times which is not at all the case with uh, when the uh, the bantus in particular expanded they would often wipe out or drive out the local population. So it is one of these things where the history doesn't really matter because there is a hatred, there is a greed, and there is, of course, a massive resentment that's often stoked by the international community uh, about yes. the challenging situations in uh, in South Africa with regards to apartheid, with regards to intertribal conflicts, with regards to the IQ problem in sub-Saharan Africa. These are not easy things to solve, but everyone's just like, well, one person, one vote, everything's going to be great. And I remember even at the time having these unbelievable arguments in the 80s and the 90s saying that uh, it is not going to end well if you think that the mere extension of franchise is going to produce paradise. You are sadly mistaken. Yeah, it's it's this two prong issue. And you're totally right when you say the international community has uh, really hurt things as well by perpetually bringing forward this narrative of black oppression and white supremacy, whites are privileged, so-and-so, especially in a country that is so inclined to Marxist philosophy. The ANC, I was shocked to see, like all the people in government, most of the people there, they're all Marxist. They all believe in this classist thing. They're very jealous, very hateful towards people who have, and then they're also very hateful to people who don't look like them. So it's very tribalistic. So not only do they hate you for being white, they hate you for having things. And it was explained to me this way. It's very much so the, the kind of tribal philosophy, especially among the Zulu people, um, not all of them, obviously, but uh, what, what I was told by the people who live there is that it's kind of this ideology of, I would rather have... Um, 100% of 10 than 10% of a billion. I would rather be the king of a shithole than the cog in the machine of a working, beautiful, functioning society. And you very much saw that in Zimbabwe as well. They, they must know in South Africa that if they get rid of all the farmers, if they get rid of all the food, if they get rid of all of these really hardworking people, their economy, and it's really going to hurt everyone. It's not going to be as great of a country as it was before, but they'll have the land they'll own it. It'll be theirs and there won't be someone above them because that's that's what it causes so much of that hatred and anger and vengefulness. They don't like white people having property. They don't like them being successful. They don't like them being white. <laughs> right. And it doesn't seem to me that uh, there would be a massive barrier to becoming a farmer 
uh, if you are in South Africa and you're not white. It's not like, uh, well, all the land is taken and you can't get any. Just go out, buy some land and be a farmer. Nobody would have any particular problems or complaints with it. And this great tragedy that I remember even talking about decades ago, which is I said, look, the fact that there are European farming methods, the fact that there is Western expertise in South Africa is why the population has swollen so much. Uh, South Africa did not sustain a very large human population prior to the advent of uh, European farming methods and white expertise in land management. And so the population has risen largely as the result of the land being concentrated in the most efficient hands. And those hands are just often white for reasons that I've talked in, uh, about in the show many times. But then what happens, of course, is if you drive the most competent people out of the ownership of the means of production, which happened in, in the Soviet Union when they got rid of all the best uh, farmers and, and they got rid of the kulaks and they ended up with this starvation, forced starvation, collectivization of the farmland and so on, you get this resentment because you say, well, the only reason they're doing well is they have this land. So if I have this land, I'll be just as wealthy, which is not true at all. Pareto principle and distributions of intelligence, I mean, it's just not true. So then what they do is they say, okay, we're going to take this land and we're going to take it from the people who can do the best with it and we're going to just going to reallocate it politically. And then this huge population that South Africa, in a sense, was never designed to sustain is going to drop. And this this brutality that is going to occur, this infighting, this, and of course, then a massive exodus to Europe and to other places, it is a, uh, a worldwide disaster. And people who think there's some magic wand to fix it are sadly mistaken. But uh, I guess for a lot of the international press, uh, complexity and difficulty and subtlety a little bit outside their ken. Yeah. And, you know, I thought I was just going to be focusing on the murders when I went to South Africa, but this is such a, there's so many aspects to this problem. And uh, it's interesting that you bring up farming. I spent, or the farming methods rather, I spent about eight hours driving through the black tribal homeland. So this is land that only blacks are allowed to own. You can't own it if you're white. And it, one thing that was really striking and that we were being told about was in a lot of these farming areas, they will over farm the area because they don't understand a lot of the methods and how it's been done. And it's not just a problem of the land isn't being used to its maximum capacity. They're actually ruining the land for good. If you over farm it, there were these huge canyons of corroded land that had been over farmed that just becomes a pit in the ground that can never be used again. It just destroys the land there. So you've got farmers that, white farmers that you know are going to have their land taken away from them, that they know their their children are going to be uh, hungry because of these policies. They know that their friends, black and white, are going to suffer because of these policies. So what they're doing is even though they're unfairly having their land taken away from them, they're desperately, desperately trying to teach the tribes people around them, the workers they have on their farm, how to do the farming properly. Even though they know it's going to be unfairly stolen from them, they're trying to save the country. These white farmers, they're really trying hard to teach uh, their workers how to properly farm these lands. But I don't think it's going to, there's going to be, um, it's going to, the teaching is going to happen fast enough. I don't think that uh, the proper people are going to be given the land. I don't, I don't, I think the government's going to be completely incompetent in that regard as they have in every other regard in the country, which is why the Western Cape is running out of water, which is why they have an energy crisis, which is why they're going to have a food crisis like Zimbabwe. It's, it's horrific what's happening there on all levels. So you can't own land if you're white in certain areas. Yeah. <laughs> now that seems, uh, 
That seems important. I mean, can you imagine? And, and you made this point, of course, uh, and we'll, we'll get to that in a second. But imagine if some politician was unjustly proposing some land scheme in the West where you couldn't own land if you were black. I mean, people would go insane. But because it's anti-white racism, it's not commented on at all. And uh, I tell you, I'm getting pretty, pretty goddamn sick of it. Have you ever heard of something called black economic empowerment? I certainly have. Uh, it seems to be pretty much affirmative action and reducing whites to a proportional percentage of workers. Uh, and um, it is uh, it is horrendous. So I, I want people to imagine uh, if if the NBA enforced a policy white economic empowerment, where you're only allowed to hire the exact percentage that is represented in the population. So you can only have 13% blacks in the NBA. <laughs> and the rest has to be white because that's what the population is. That is actually what the government is implementing in South Africa right now against whites. You can only have 8% um, white workers in your business if you want a government contract. So they've contracted all of these energy companies, these hydro companies, and then they've told them, we will cancel your contracts if you don't reduce your white working, um, your white workers to this 8%. So all of these companies have done that. And you've got all of these white people now, and they're actually living in uh, what, what they call white squatter camps or white refugee camps because they can't get jobs. It's I went to one of them. It's absolutely uh, heartbreaking. But not only has have they laid off all these people unfairly, they have caused a massive crisis with the water. You keep hearing on CNN, on BBC, about how Cape Town, a what's supposed to be a vacation kind of first world area, is going to run out of water in something like a month. But they don't talk about why that's happening. They don't mm -hmm. talk about the fact that they've laid off all of these white engineers and experts and they can't fill these positions. And that's why they can't pump the water out of the ground. That's why they can't find solutions to these problems. You will never hear about that in the mainstream media. But this, this is the government. If social justice warriors, if Black Lives Matter got in power, imagine those people got in power in America. That is the government of South Africa. Well, and this is the big challenge. And I really, really want to be clear about this, although it is a provocative topic, but it is the one thing that makes sense is that in sub-Saharan Africa, the blacks have an average IQ of 70. And nobody knows how to change that. And nobody knows how to fix that. Uh, and the whites have an average IQ of 100 to um, uh, probably a little bit higher just because uh, there is that the, those sort of social pressures uh, to, to survive. And this two standard deviation Difference or separation in IQ is absolutely enormous. And when it comes to running a functional, complex, first world society, it's not going to be the case that demographics are going to be equal. Now, until that problem is at least looked at, and maybe there are ways to solve it, but of course, you first have to admit that there is this, this challenge, this difference. Well, that is um, one thing, of course, that the mainstream media will not report on, although it is a firmly established scientific fact. And this means that it's simply not going to be the case that one person, one vote is going to result in paradise. You just can't do it. I don't know exactly what the solution is. I'm generally a big fan of less government, less government, less government. Let's keep going down that road and see where things end up. But uh, this is why um, it is uh, extraordinarily difficult to solve these problems. Yeah, absolutely. And something that I found fascinating within um, kind of being in South Africa was people there, white or black or any kind of tribal, they're very aware of what group they're in. Like the, like I was saying, the Zulu people, they see the San and Koi kind of native people. But I, I was speaking to a woman and she was like, oh, you saw a San and Koi person? Was it wearing clothes? Did it live in the bushes? Did it speak words? Like they... 
they're very race realist in the sense towards each other and all these different tribal groups. And I mean, you've seen that uh, in Rwanda where they genocide other groups, where they really, really are aware of their identity. I mean, Nigerians in the area, they say, you bold Nigerians, oh, we're, we're smarter, we're this, we're that. Like, white people don't talk about this a lot, but uh, within African groups, they're very upfront about what tribe they're from, what race they're from, what group they're from, where they're in standing in society. It's uh, very bizarre. Now, let's talk a little bit about some of the political leadership, which is yeah. uh, uh, rife with corruption and incompetence and uh, racial hatred towards whites yeah. is openly chanted about and screamed about. And uh, I mean, this was part of Mandela as well. I mean, this is the the great hero and salvation of South Africa. Well, the was a communist and uh, advocated terrorism and sang along with this shoot the boer or shoot the white. And this is, uh, you see people jumping up and down and chanting this. Uh, this is uh, astounding stuff, which if it were race reversed and showed up even on the darkest sections of, of human society in the West would be, it would be treated as, as the, the most appalling, which it is, of course, the most appalling kind of behavior, but it's not even discussed how much hatred they want to steal the land, they want to kill the whites. This is openly discussed and talked about as platforms of major political parties, and you just can't find mention of it, of course, because, well, for reasons we'll get into in a sec, but where do politics sit with regards to this race hatred? <laughs> oh, where do you even start with that? I mean, obviously, the, the ANC are supposed to be the progressive social justice party of the world, the world-worshipped Saint Nelson Mandela. They see it as the stunning image of the rainbow nation is what they call South Africa. The ANC, in my opinion, from what I've seen and heard from them, you'll see a video soon coming out uh, about them, on my channel, they're just a watered down, almost politically, publicly, politically available narrative of what the EFF actually believes. So the EFF will dance around and say, kill the boar, shoot the boar, right, who's the EFF? take their land. Uh, the economic freedom fighters, they have about 10% of the uh, kind of government control. So 10% of the vote. Then the rest goes to the ANC, Mandela's party. The ANC will come out and publicly say something like, we need to take white land without compensation. We want that. Everyone will cheer. Everyone will cheer. The ANC pretend to reject the EFF who go on stage and just like straight out say it. We're going to shoot the boar. We're going to kill them. We're going to take their land. But the end result of the ANC's policies, if they implement them, is exactly what the EFF is chanting. They believe exactly what the EFF are saying. They just give their more public stage version so that it's not publicly seen as, oh, they're actually going to go commit a genocide, right? Um, but if you actually talk to ANC people, if you talk to politicians, you say, hey, what are you going to do if farmers decide, no, I don't want you to take the land that I've had for eight generations that my father died on, that my grandfather died on, that my, my mother lives on? Like, I don't want you to take that. What are you going to do? Well, they'll tell you. They won't resist. Why won't they resist? Because uh, the government will make the law that we have to take the land. Well, what if they oppose that law? Well, then we'll change the law so that we can go in and take the land violently. That's the end result of the ANC's policy if they take the land. It's exactly what the EFF is chanting, just the EFF are more honest about it. And for people who, um, the economic freedom fighters, they were the ones that went and smashed up that H&M. 
they were the ones in Johannesburg that tore everything up because of that coolest monkey in the jungle shirt. That's a legitimate political party that gets 10% of the vote in South Africa. It's bizarre. Well, and if you think about this contrast uh, with someone like the AFD uh, or, or other parties in Europe that simply want to control immigration and enforce borders, that aren't talking about killing people, that aren't talking about ta taking property of other races with no compensation, they're, of course, all far-right Nazis. But yeah. when you have a government uh, or a significant political force within the political system that is openly talking about taking property without compensation, Nazi policy for some, and they're also talking about racial uh, genocide, well, uh, that's not discussed at all. And these kinds of double standards are um, really endangering the world in ways that can scarcely be imagined. Right. And this is something that even um, non like far right figures have talked about. Genocide Watch reported on, on South Africa and said, oh, that's a that's a situation you got to keep your eye on with the whites there. This is Genocide Watch. It's not some far right Nazi organization, the same people who predicted uh, things like the Rwandan genocide. And it, it's the I, I fear that when the mainstream media recognizes it, when they start to acknowledge it, it's going to be five, 10 years from now when whites are already being dragged out of their homes and killed and shot and having their land taken away from them. I fear that it is going to be a much, much darker situation when the media actually begins to talk about it. And that's always the unfortunate <laughs> cycle, isn't it? That's always the unfortunate cycle when something like this stirs up. It's always ignored. And then after we go, oh my goodness, how could we not see this? How could we not predict this? How could we have failed to stop this? Well, uh, maybe maybe you should have paid attention a little harder and not cared about whose skin color it was that were under attack and whose skin color it was that were being tortured and tormented and mistreated. But I think it's very clear, Lauren, as to why they don't want to talk about it is they don't want to goose whites in the West about what's going to happen with population replacement. Yes. They don't want whites in the West to look down the tunnel of time and say, oh, so when we become a minority, we're going to have to hide with guns by our bed and under our pillows. We're going to have to hide between 12 different kinds of locks. We're going to have to hire private security and we're going to live a life of indoorsville. We're going to have to live a life where we move from one security area to another, where we're constantly under threat of danger, where we don't know what next horrible law is going to come down justifying violence against us. And we're going to look at people who murder uh, other whites and often walk free or have minimal sentencing. And they don't want to scare the whites in the West with what happens when whites become a minority in a highly aggressive and tribalized world. Yeah, and it's the... the ideology that is going on it's not like you have so many people that will say and they'll be like oh look at this look at this uh lovely um african man that's at harvard yeah of course he's gonna be fine in western civilization but we're talking about zulu population that is the majority of the area that still believe witch doctors can bring back their loved ones we're talking about people where you drive through the land and they've got uh red paint and orange paint on their face because they're doing witch doctor magic to be more fertile. The politicians there, the freaking ANC leading party politicians have witch doctors living in their house on the main floor. They buy a few Mercedes for all their witch doctors, all of the politicians there. There's posters all over Johannesburg, what's supposed to be a kind of first world vacation spot saying, hey, call up this witch doctor for an abortion or a bigger penis. Like that's all the posters in Johannesburg. This is not a situation of 
highly assimilated top of the population um, Africans that come over to Canada or America or Europe during kind of the uh, beginning of immigration. That is not the situation. It's a situation of a very aggressive tribalistic uh, world where, yeah, you're right. It's absolutely depressing. Every house, normal civilians living in Johannesburg, what's supposed to be this first world area, uh, they have to live with barbed wire fences, electric fences, gates over their window, gates over their doors, guns by their bed. That is just, you live from gated community to gated community in Johannesburg. And I felt that I only was there for a little over two weeks. And I felt that fear. I'd go to bed with a can of pepper spray beside me when I slept in the farmhouses because I was really afraid. You're not necessarily going to get murdered immediately, but the consequences of if a crime does happen against you, it's brutal. It's brutal. And that fear is, I don't know how they do it. I don't know how they do it, Stefan. Well, they do it through gradual acclimatization. This is the yeah. great problem with this kind of social change. It's the old story of the frog in the boiling water. It happens slowly. It happens piece by piece. It happens bit by bit. And um, you just wake up one day and your world has completely changed. And the form of security that you had and the form of balance and prosperity that the society was able to achieve where you had blacks. See, with South Africa, of course, it was always portrayed. I mean, you listen to assholes like Bruce Springsteen and Peter Gabriel and all these kinds of people. It's like, oh, it's terrible. No, 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 no. You see, in the past, under apartheid, blacks were fighting and dying to get into South Africa. They were desperate. They would, they would cross deserts. They would cross uh, uh, areas, uh, savannas with, with man-eating lions. They, would, they were desperate to try and get into South Africa because they would get access to first world food, first world water, first world medicine, first world uh, security and, and uh, prosperity. And this was a huge uh, issue, of course, that was not talked about because somehow it was like, well, without the whites, it would be paradise. It's like, well, you do have other places in Africa to look at without European traditions and European leadership, and you can kind of see what happens. And, and the other thing, too, is that this relentless policy of the West, uh, and then Canada's uh, kind of important with this as well, say, oh, let's have a merit-based immigration system. Okay, well, let's talk about a merit-based immigration system. So what we're going to do is we're going to go to third world countries where IQ is not plentiful. And we're going to take the smartest people out of those societies. Yeah. And we're going to bring them here. Why? Because they'll be good taxpayers. Now, in the past, of course, people would talk about European civilizations, Western civilizations, going to Africa and scooping up the resources. Like, come on. I mean, it wasn't like that they had a huge use for diamonds and oil before the, the Europeans came. But the real exploitation, the real colonialization is scooping up the smartest people from third world countries causing those countries to spiral into decay and economic dislocation and tyranny, which then means that the next smartest group of people are desperate to get out, which makes it even worse. And this spiral, and, and then we dump a whole bunch of foreign aid, which uh, props up a population and encourages a birth rate, which can't be sustained in a decaying political and economic system. And those in the West who advocate for this kind of immigration are going to have the blood of millions on their hands because this uh, intelligence is the real resource that's being strip mined from the third world uh, to the detriment of the entire society uh, in ways that can scarcely be imagined as yet. Yeah, I'm, I'm sure people have seen the gumball immigration video. Uh, it's, it's quite good. But yeah, the... <laughs> It, it, they've got a brutal just calling of all the people that are capable of running their government, that are capable of running uh, their energy systems. Like, who cares? You know what? Have, have an all 
I, I was told this by farmers, who cares, have an all black government. I couldn't care less, but at least like keep the engineers so that we can have water, keep the engineers so that we can turn on our, our lights. Instead, I'm having to meet up with engineers in white squatter camps who are, and it's amazing. It's like walking into a, a homeless shelter or a refugee camp, except everyone's cleaning up the place. They've got farming going on. They're trying to live for themselves and, they just can't get jobs despite literally having engineering degrees in this country running out of water. It's truly shocking. And I mean, I know I'm not allowed to say it because of my complexion, but I'll just quote what my black security guard outside my hotel told me. He literally told me I preferred living under apartheid. When I lived under apartheid, uh, people were punished for their crimes. When I lived under apartheid, if you murdered someone, you were either getting killed or going to jail. If you stole something you were going to jail. He, he, this is what my black security guard told me. And this is something you will hear from a lot of people there. And I think one of the, probably one of the more sad stories I heard was a Zimbabwean woman who came over to South Africa because she's trying to make money for her family back in Zimbabwe after they drove out all the whites from Zimbabwe and just crashed the economy. Uh, and she's saying, I don't know what to do. When they drive out these white farmers, where can I go? This country was my hope after they destroyed Zimbabwe, and now they're going to destroy this as well. This isn't just a matter of um, white people being murdered and having their property stolen and, and starving and being terribly, terribly discriminated against. This is a matter of, like you were saying, millions of people, black and white, now having to starve and go thirsty and live in terrible third world conditions because of these policies. When you have good, competent people in government, no matter what skin color they are, good, competent people working in the energy sector, they they raise up the whole nation. But that friggin' ideology of I'd rather have 100% of 10 than 10% of a billion is going to absolutely collapse South Africa within the next five to 10 years. Well, and that central planning is one of these things that we've talked, I've talked a little bit about the IQ spread. But the, the real issue is the Marxism, the real issue is the violation of property rights and the delusion of central planning, which certainly is not <laughs> confined to Africa. You've had uh, enormously intelligent populations such as in uh, in China and, and Cambodia make exactly the same mistakes, this idea that you're going to put uh, some people in charge of an entire complex economy and do anything other than drive it into the dirt. Uh, it is not f so if they had actually accepted or embraced free markets, then the IQ thing would be less of an issue. But uh, it is this central planning, and this relentless uh, focusing on, on Marxism on leftism, of course, which you can see going on in Western universities and in the Western media as well. That to me is the fundamental issue. If there was a way to convince the local population of the virtues and values of the free market, which again, is not particularly <laughs> IQ dependent, then they'd be doing a whole lot better. Uh, then they would take away these quota systems, they would they would just say, Okay, we'll let the best person win. And there would be more whites in positions of uh, authority and intelligence. And but the country as a whole would do so much better. But the sowing of these seeds of hatred and resentment, uh, it's very hard to undo that uh, ball once it gets rolling. Right. It's uh, <laughs> the the teaching and just adopting of the free market is really not as easy as I think anarchists and libertarians like to believe. It, it brings me back to I remember I was walking through kind of a poorer area of Vancouver with my cameraman and a a homeless guy punched him because he thought he was filming something that he had stolen and was selling on the street. And he just started punching my cameraman. And I remember staying there and going, excuse me, <laughs> that's illegal. 
And the guy just keeps punching him. And I kind of sat there and I'm like, wow, you know, telling someone that that's wrong and illegal is not going to stop them from doing it. Telling someone that that violates the NAP is not going to stop them from doing it. There's a girl that has a paintball store that was right by um, kind of a more, what is it? Just a really big black kind of shanty town. And she was telling us when we were interviewing her every day, Every week, every week she has her paintball shop robbed and she even knows the time. She's like, oh, they come about, they come around about 4.30 with their guns and hold me up. They beat her with pipes before. She's had to go get counseling in the UK. Actually, right after I interviewed her at her paintball shop, uh, she got held up and robbed again, like a day after. And she's now selling her business and leaving the country. You can't even have a free market in a place like that. You can't even have a successful free market where the best wins when the worst don't even try to compete in it. They just rob and steal. That society cannot function. And the government is letting it run amok because, well, oh, it's just the it's this the the pro the proletariat taking over the bourgeois or whatever. It's the 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 poor people just taking back what's theirs. It, it belongs to them. These these whites they own too much. They create too much. It's absolutely unfair. It's an injustice. So we're going to ignore when they're attacked. We're going to no- ignore when they're tormented and killed. Even when it's children being raped and killed, we're going to ignore it. And that's that's a secondary issue. Well, and of to, course, uh, uh, this, this this blame the victim stuff is also very strong, right? Because you can uh, be murdered and, and people will say, well, that's what happens when you have apartheid. Like, so if you're the minority and you're murdered on racial grounds for racial animosity, uh, in the West, if you were a minority and were regularly being targeted and murdered, people would go insane. And the idea of blaming the victim would be incomprehensible. But of course, if it's whites in South Africa, well, you see, it's just a legacy of the horrible apartheid system. And there is either the implicit or explicit statement that they damn well deserve it. And that, again, this double standard, this, this use of morality to, um, to basically uh, expand upon and, and let fly racial hatred towards whites, this is going to lead to a very, very nasty place and uh, very few people will understand all of the steps that it took to get there. They'll only be horrified at what happens. Then, of course, when South Africa starts to run out of money and starts to run out of water and starts to run out of medicine, then all the people in the West are going to say, ah, you know what we need? More foreign aid. You know what we need is to take, take refugees. And it's like, well, what about the whites who are there right now, who are being targeted in not even the first steps, but intermediate to late steps of a genocide? The whites who are being targeted there for their race, for their ethnicity for their language. Why can't they be refugees? Why can't the whites be airlifted out and given a place of sanctuary? I'm sure a lot of people, I've talked to people in South Africa, desperate to get out. It's very hard to get out at all. Why can't they? Because they're not refugees. They are being targeted for genocide, but it's their own damn fault, according to a popular narrative. And that is some cold-blooded shit, I'll tell you right now. And if it's not a matter of it's your own damn fault, which people will say publicly, then it's being covered up. The government has stopped collecting data based on race as of the early 2000s, I believe. So they can't even show that this uh, these brutal murders are happening disproportionately to whites. And secondly, they are covering all of these murders up as burglaries gone wrong. That is what is being recorded by the police. That is what's being recorded by the government. And that is what is being reported by the media. And it's just, 
I, I, I'm getting emotional thinking about it because I sit down with these families and they tell me about their mothers having their eyes gouged out with forks. They tell me about these little children being brutally raped for days, locked in the house with no phones. They, they, these families tormented, set on fire, ripped to pieces, nails all throughout their bodies. Oh, and the children and, who get the Joker cuts. Yeah, right. there's a picture of a little girl with her face just cut up up to her ears and you look at that and think how can you as a decent moral human being say that was a burglary gone wrong and not that this was a wicked wicked murder that this was an evil murder inspired by hatred and anger and some messed up sense of revenge how can you not honestly admit that and they look at this and they either say you deserve it or they ignore it and they hide it and they won't record files on it they won't report it in the media imagine if there were a a black family that were killed in that matter by uh, white supremacist by someone who was a white nationalist imagine if that happened in america brutal torture for five days that would be in the news for months. Imagine, for months. imagine if it happened. Back to that. Imagine if it happened, as you say on your videos, Lauren, imagine if it happened every single day, one a day, these attacks on these, these farmers. Imagine if that happened every single day. People would go insane, and rightly so, because that kind of racial targeting and slaughter uh, is political, it is terrorism, it is with the goal of driving whites off the land, it is out of a, a sense of racial hatred, it would be a hate crime in any country, every single day, one a day. Yeah, and then these, <laughs> it, it's, I don't even know where, where to start. Like you have these, not only are they being driven off their farms, they just are leaving the farms now. They don't have jobs if they're in the cities because they're getting laid off. And then they're being driven to these squatter camps, these white squatter camps, refugee camps, which for the most part, I really hate to say this, it's actually mostly children. There's lots and lots of very young kids um, at these squatter camps and they can't go, they, they tried to get these kids at this one squatter camp I went to, they tried to get these kids into a local school and the school asked them how many black people were at the camp. And they said, well, we, we don't have any uh, black people here. And they denied them because there weren't enough black people at the camp. They wouldn't let these children uh, come to school. And what's sad is a lot of these people have tried to stay at the black government camps. They've tried to stay at the black housing areas. They've tried to stay, uh, go to government hospitals, and they all get denied because they're whites. Then they're forced to live on these white squatter camps where they'll be de then denied more aid because they're all white. And it's just an end ending spiral of terror and hopelessness for these people. It is a living hell on earth there. And I mean, the, what, what, what horrifies me is that it's a, a lot, a lot of children that are going to be growing up in this environment and how that would psychologically, let alone physically impact you growing up there. Well, are they going to grow Jeez. up? Are they even going to grow up? I mean, the, these crimes that are occurring, as you know, Lauren, are occurring with the full complicity of the media around the world. Mm -hmm. These crimes could not occur in the way that they're occurring. These politically motivated, terrorist-related, racial hate crimes, these murders for the sake of race, they could not occur if they were being exposed by the media. The South African government would have been shamed into some sort of action or some sort of change. And so, to me at least, the media that is not talking about this, that is not reporting about this, is an accomplice, is 
complicit and is encouraging just this kind of uh, heinous activity. Well, that that's what's so infuriating as well. Like I, I'm not I'm not rich. Luckily, I have wonderful uh, patrons and people who have donated to help my trip. But I'm going down there without security. I'm going down there just driving in a car across the country, sleeping on farmers' couches and such. You know, I I am able to go there and get these amazing stories, stories that would go viral on things like AJ Plus or Vox. Imagine if they did a story about just just one, like Janine's story that I told on my channel, just one person who dealt with these murders and then couldn't get help from the government. Vox or Mike, they have massive budgets. Vice, massive budgets. They could send down, they probably already have commentators in Johannesburg and Cape Town that they could send to go tell these stories. And they don't. Instead, their commentators are sitting there talking about how a freaking T-shirt that says coolest monkey in the jungle is racist, when all they have to do is drive two hours to get the story of a massacre of a family based on racial motives. And they don't. So you're completely correct in saying they are complicit. It wasn't hard for me to find these stories. I went in there with only one contact. And by the end of it, it just I, I didn't expect it to be so bad that I would just meet one person and they could introduce me to 10 people they knew who had had family members slaughtered. They could stand at the top of a hill and point farm, 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 farm. They had their mother killed. They had their daughter shot. They had their family murdered. They were burned by on a stake. I didn't expect it to be that easy, but that is how easy it is to find these stories. And the fact that the media isn't doing it, it's yeah, it's it's obvious that it is on purpose. It can it, it's impossible for it to not be on purpose. This is massive story massive story it is and it helps of course us break the least subtle of codes in the known universe diversity means hatred of whites and racist means hatred of whites white privilege means hatred of whites and this uh, ever escalating tsunami of anti-white hatred that is manifested in the cover-up of these crimes against whites in south africa and oh the apartheid was bad come on are you saying to me that white children should get raped because of apartheid how on earth could that be considered just and fair and right and so this kind of cover-up is the most dangerous force at the moment at least for the west is this anti-white hatred and it is being stoked and it is being fueled and it is going to results in, I think, the kind of conflict that the world has never before seen. Maybe that's the point. I don't even know what the purpose is, whether it's just become some self-generating rolling ball of infinite prejudice. I have no idea. But where this kind of stuff leads uh, is astonishing because you walk through these kinds of squatter camps and you realize that there but for the grace of history go you and I, you and I would be kicked out of our jobs. You and I would be kicked out of universities. You and I would be kicked out of any possibility of making any kind of go of it in the society that was largely built by our ancestors. And we'll end up scrabbling in the dirt for a piece of alfalfa and hoping to God we don't get it too thick. To think this isn't some sort of um, dark omen for what could happen is is very silly. We already have the beginning. The people with the same rhetoric as the EFF, the people with the same rhetoric as the ANC trying to get in government. And worse than that, they're the people that are running our institutions. They're the people that are educating our children, making our media. You get a population that is over 50% non-white, and they've been told since childhood that they are oppressed, that whites have stolen their land, that whites are evil. What do you think is going to happen? You, yeah, everybody you, you everybody are, knows you what's going to happen. Yeah, everybody Africa. knows what's yeah. going to happen, that you cannot continually fuel a hatred and ventral narrative upon an already tribal species. We're a tribal species, kind of how we evolved. Everybody knows exactly 
what's going to happen. And this is why nobody is innocent who pursues this narrative. Nobody is innocent who ignores counterpoints to this narrative. Everybody's going to have blood on their hands and the blood is going to be virtually bottomless because everybody knows where this goes. And this is not even our theory. This is well documented that you dehumanize and stoke up hatred against any racial group. That is going to spill out. That is the nature of our species. We are competitive, we are aggressive, and we are tribal. And if you provoke, and we saw this uh, in, in Rwanda, right, where they would continually dehumanize the opposing racial group. Uh, and sometimes it's not a racial group. It can be any other kind of group. It can be gender. Sometimes it can be religion. It can be uh, any uh, more subtle ethnicity. You keep stoking this kind of hatred and we will react with violence as a species. And I think everybody who's involved in this knows exactly where this is going to go. And our opportunities for slowing it down or preventing it are diminishing literally day by day. I I really wish I could live in the world where this rainbow nation existed. I really wish I could live in the world where this idea that um, things will just work out in the end existed. I remember very distinctly, I was staying in a hostel in France and I was with two liberals and we went out to get dinner and we stayed up till about three or 4 a.m. just having some drinks, talking politics. And these were hardcore liberals, voted Bernie Sanders, like uh, voted Labour, all of that. And I was sitting there talking to them about Islam and immigration in Paris. We were in Paris and they told me, these liberals, they were like, yes, I know. By the end of the night, after a few drinks, when it was all quiet, it was just the fire, they said, yes, I know Islam is not compatible with our society. I know if all of these people come in in droves and vote in Sharia law or vote in laws that are against our values, that obviously this is going to be a problem. But I can't say that out loud. I'll be fired from my job. I can't say that out loud. I will be rejected by my family. I can't say that out loud. So what I have to do instead is hope. I have to hope it'll work out. I just have to hope and believe. But <laughs> hoping and believing that it'll work out and not saying something because, I mean, you're scared of what your friends will think, that's... You're going to lose your job anyway. I mean, yeah, South Africa is exactly. clear on that. I mean, the idea that, well, you know, it's going to be economically negative for me to speak out uh, about these injustices and these problems. Uh, well, this is, uh, as Churchill said about appeasement, it's the hope that the crocodile is going to eat you last. The crocodile is coming uh, and it's mm -hmm. hungry. And the idea that somehow, well, I'm going to I'm going to lose my friends. Well, what if your friends up in a, in, end up in a different squatter camp? Guess what? You've lost them anyway. Well, I might be economically harmed by this. Well, uh, if you're not allowed to get a job and you're fired and you end up scrabbling in the dirt trying to find a piece of food to eat, then you have lost your economic value anyway. So the idea that somehow crossing your fingers and hoping is going to avoid the disaster is entirely false. And the idea that you can hang on to your uh, affluence for another five minutes uh, with the certainty that you're going to lose it forever uh, is irrational. And maybe it's just this big intelligence and integrity test that's being dangled in front of the West. Do you really care about your freedoms? Do you really care about all the values and treasures and liberties that your ancestors fought and died and handed to you with bloody fingers from shallow graves? Do you really care about them? Or is it all just talk? And that's what nature keeps doing to societies and tribes around the world. Do you really believe in what you claim to believe? Let's find out. And right now, most of us have found very much wanting. I'm not sure if you've ever heard uh, Rudyard Kipling's poem, The Gods of the Copybook Headings. Have you ever heard that one? No. Um, I would encourage everyone to read it after this video. Maybe even I could pull it up at some point. But the whole poem is based on when everything is 
thrown away when you get rid of the gods of the market, which we've worshipped so much because the gods of the market tell us that pigs can have wings. They tell us we can have all of these beautiful things. When all of that goes away and we get a natural disaster or something, the gods of the copybook headings, the rules of life biology, they come back with terror and vengeance. And you see that when there's a flood, you don't see the women carrying the men out of the houses. You don't see this feminist narrative taking play. No, you see the men carrying the women and all the feminists, all of them suddenly, oh, please help me, help me, help me. Uh, when, when when you get to prison or jail, it's suddenly people are dividing into tribal racial groups. When you get uh, any sort of huge conflict, the the gods that are biology and nature and natural law and tribalism, they all come back. And in a huge crisis in South Africa, when you see the economy uh, start to collapse because of the policies, when you see them run out of water as they are now, when you see them run out of food, it's going to get very nasty. It is going to get very, very nasty. And very few people will actually be able to <clears throat> accurately diagnose the cause and any possible solutions. It will just be somehow it's white people's fault and white people must pay forever. And I don't really see how that is anything other. I mean, even the term white privilege is a fundamentally racist term. Uh, it is collectivizing whites and saying that we're all privileged. Well, I didn't remember being very privileged when I grew up in a single mother household in a very poor neighborhood. I didn't remember seeing a whole lot of privilege coming my way. And uh, it is uh, this white supremacist thing. You know, there are groups in the world that openly proclaim their own supremacy. And you can see it right in their holy books. You can see it right in their texts. Openly proclaim their own uh, supremacy, which are never called supremacist. But simply having uh, a white identity or simply having a white history or a white civilization makes you a white supremacist. This stuff, um, it is my desperate hope. Lauren, and I, I think it is an increasingly desperate hope, but I'm going to hang on to it until evidence, all evidence proves otherwise. It is my desperate hope that we can push back against this escalating racial hatred of whites rhetoric uh, to the point where I think that we can conceivably coexist if we have governments that cannot favor racial groups. If Because it's sort of like when governments could favor particular religious groups when there was no separation mm -hmm. of church and state. The The... Religions could not coexist because they were all trying to grab control of the power of the state to impose their religion on others. Otherwise, others would grab power of the state and impose their other religion on themselves. And while we have a government that is able to fundamentally favor ethnic groups or racial groups, then those racial groups are going to be inevitably drawn towards the government to enact their will. If we have a government, and again, I know that this is easier said than done, of course, but the, you know, as a philosopher, I propose ideals, not necessarily methodologies. If we have governments that cannot favor one racial group over another. If all racially aware laws are abolished, then I believe that is our best chance for coexistence because it certainly worked with religions, which are more fervent than racial groups in some ways. But we don't even, we're not even at the point of discussing that there's an issue, let alone any possible solutions. Yeah. And and that's that's what's very scary as well is, I mean, obviously, we both know the problem of open borders and democracy. If you have a democracy, even with still having borders, but the amount of immigration trickling in, you're, you're still kind of screwed because that voting block just gets more and more and more skewed. And I really wish I really wish more liberals considered what the potential backlash is going to be if it gets we could potentially, like you said, if if we started moving in the right direction, and it's much more difficult to roll that carpet up than it is to roll it out. So we've rolled out the carpet of progressivism and open borders and such. If we start weaning that back, maybe 
things can happen peacefully. That's what everyone wants. Everyone wants that. But if you get to a point like in South Africa, where you've got this radical government that is extremely anti-white, that is stoking up racial hatred, that is starting to implement laws, what is going to be the backlash? What is going to be the party that comes up in favor of uh white people defending their interests? What is going to be the governments that come after that? Are they going to be peaceful governments or are they going to say democracy was a mistake because it led us to this? Well, and the other thing too, if uh, let's say that uh, I, I believe that a particular dog is aggressive. And so uh, in order to protect myself from that dog, I chain it up, I starve it, I beat it, and then the dog bites me. Do you know what I then get to say? Aha! I knew it was this way. This is the nature of this mm -hmm. dog. And it's the same thing if you keep stripping white people of pride, of, of history, of culture, uh, if you keep passing laws uh, against them, uh, if you keep uh, denigrating them and attacking them and, and heaping scorn and hatred upon them at some point, well, white people are going to get pissed off. And then you know what everyone's going to say? Aha, the mask slips. This is exactly, it's like, no, uh, this is unfortunately the blowback that occurs with this level of animosity. And um, I wish it wasn't the case, but uh, human beings have an innate desire and thirst to survive. And uh, if cornered, almost every group will react with ferocity. Mm -hmm. And that's, that's one of the big reasons I also wanted to cover this, because I don't think, like, like many of our history books, unfortunately, I don't think they're going to tell the story quite so accurately of what happened to the South African uh, Afrikaners and Boer people. Uh, they may say if the whites decide to defend their land that they were the violent dog that bit back, as, you, as you've uh, said. But I want their stories to be documented, the truth of what happened to be documented, and not for it to be this skewed story of whites were violent. No, they were attacked for so, 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 so long. And if they choose to defend themselves, uh, when when people come to take their land that they've had for nine generations to put their families into camps to starve them, yeah, who who can really blame them at that point? Self-defense. But I don't think the truth of it will be told quite like that well, by the mainstream media <laughs> or history books, unfortunately. I mean, these days I just wake up saying, who cares about the mainstream media? At least we do have an avenue to get a truth out, which has been unavailable to people throughout human history. This is the new printing press that may fragment society, but will ultimately heal it if healing is at all possible. So Lauren, uh, I know that this is going to be part of, and we'll put links to your videos below. I know that you put out snippets. Um, how is the work going on the longer form documentary and when can we expect to see it? And also how can people help you out with the uh, resources required to produce it? Yeah, absolutely. So the Farmlands full documentary will hopefully be out in a month and a little bit. Um, it's the stories that you've seen, the Blood Sisters, Janine's story, the Farm Waves, those are, we, we've saved so much content for the documentary. Like Janine spoke plenty about how the government even called off certain units from investigating her father's murder. And you don't get to hear about that in these little snippets. They're just teasers. That will all be in the documentary. We've interviewed politicians in South Africa. We've interviewed uh, both sides of things. We, like I said, we went to the white squatter camp. Uh, there's a lot, a lot of stuff that's going to be in the documentary that is not in these little snippets. And, um, it's going to be a full feature length. So you can go and you can check that out and the work we're doing on that and uh, kind of wait for it to come out on farmlands.online. 
And of course, you can go on my Facebook page, Lauren Southern, where I'm having a lot of success sharing this stuff out to normies, actually. YouTube gets my basic audience, but my my video on why white people are being targeted in South Africa almost has a million views on my Facebook page, Lauren Southern, which is so amazing because I think uh, we may actually be able to make some change in the public discourse. Uh, but yeah. Oh, also, I, d- I did want to point this out just because I think this is really cool. The European Union... Uh, European Parliament just discussed my Blood Sisters video on the platform there. Uh, One of the MEPs brought it up. So as much as there's kind of this black pill going on where, oh, my goodness, we're screwed. Oh, my goodness. Like these uh, like white people are going to be potentially genocide into the next five to 10 years in South Africa. I, I, I do think that the more people talking about this, the more people going down and reporting on this, the more videos people like you make fan on this topic. Uh, the more we are actually having politicians tune in and look at it. Maybe even Donald Trump will say something about it. That would be very cool. Uh, but don't be completely blackpilled. Uh, hopefully share the farmland <laughs> stuff and maybe we can make some more moves in larger Well, you know, you, you should only give up hope when people like Lauren and I stop talking about stuff. Right. I mean, as long as we're talking about it, you know, you, you, you scare the picture with, you, you know, you bring out like cleric style, that diseased lung to show to somebody because they can still survive, uh, you know, the, if they quit smoking or never smoke. Right. So yes. the fact that we're yes. talking about this stuff, the passion, it is not designed to inflict despair. Uh, because for me, when I despair of something, I simply stop talking about it. Um, but um, it is designed to raise awareness. And it gives people a powerful weapon. Because when when people say, well, we've got to bring in these refugees because they're being persecuted, and you sort of talk about people in Libya and Syria and so on, you say, oh, well, what about the South Africans? Ooh, it changes, right? Oh, well, no, that's different. Okay, well, now, now it's not about refugees. It's about something else. And you can start exploring that. So it, mm-hmm. I just wanted to say, uh, you know, for people who haven't been to, to South Africa, knowing the risks that Lauren took, uh, it's extraordinary. My admiration for your courage is, is virtually bottomless. And my respect for the work that you're doing morally to bring awareness to this issue and to bring some remediation to this upcoming, hopefully to be averted bloodbath. Uh, I just really wanted to uh, express my enormous admiration for what you're doing and also uh, give you the opportunity to uh, tell people how they can help you out. I mean, there's a base materialism to getting this kind of work done and people can really help. You may not want to go to South Africa, but you can certainly help Lauren. And what's the best way for people to do that for you? Uh, yeah, absolutely. Um, you can go to farmlands.online and down that you you can help with our kit if you want to see things uh, directly in the footage quality and in how uh, in what we're doing. You can help with the kit, uh, expanding our audio equipment and such for the next project, or you can help uh, pay with some of the expenses to the South Africa trip with a there's a little stripe donation box on the farmlands.online site. I, I really appreciate it, guys. Obviously. Uh, this is about telling the stories that of the voiceless, telling the stories that people haven't heard. And I, I understand not everyone can give money. Uh, so you can also uh, share, which is yeah. one of the biggest things you can do. You can share these videos. That is, honestly, if you do anything, that is what I appreciate the most, getting those stories out there, because that's what this whole trip is about. Ain't nobody too broke to click. So, yeah, I would appreciate <laughs> that. So, again, twitter.com forward slash Lauren Underbar Southern. We'll put links to what we've talked about below. And uh, thanks so much for your time and for everything that you're doing. And let's talk again when the documentary is ready. Absolutely. Thanks so much, Stan.